Welcome to our weekly, every Wednesday night shir. Shir, of course, is the Nishmas Liza Shlamis. This week is Pashas Vayishlach, Vayishlach Yaakov Malochim. Tonight is, of course, a very special date, Yudalid Kislev. I don't know what I just answered, but okay. Tonight is Yudalid Kislev. The anniversary of the Rebbe and the Rebbetson. Um, not quite sure who I have online here. Okay. Pashva Yishlach takes us another step into the journey of Yaakov Avinu as Yaakov Avinu now confronts his brother Esav after his entire 20 plus years of work for Lovan he has now amassed whatever he amasses rich wise, wealth wise and now it's time for him to move on we know, we've discussed many times Yaakov's approach to the meeting with Esav. He does the three things, prepares with gift, prepares with matana, prepares with prayer. Just a very short, brief story about prayer. It's obviously a muscle. And the We'll be thankful to the world of WhatsApp, which sends this around and around and around, like everything else goes round and round. A very poor family, as any other family in the world, prayed. They prayed for everything they could pray for. They prayed for everything that they felt they lacked. One evening, their prayers were answered. There was a knock at the door, and there were tens of people standing outside. The father of the family said, Who are you? And the first person piped up and said, I'm Simcha, happiness. This, he says, is Emuna, faith, belief. Over there is Simcha, joy. Here's health, here's success, here's prosperity, here's power. All the things that you ever requested in your prayers, they're here tonight with you. Everybody was standing there, the whole family standing by the door and looking at amazement. Wow, they're all these are the things that we prayed for. And look how they're all here in front of us. They were they were fascinated. And they decided to think, what would be the best choice? And I said, can we invite you all in? Why not? We prayed for all of these things. Why don't we have them all in the house? And the first person, Simcha says, sorry, only one can be invited in. You prayed for all of this? but only one of them is granted to you. And so, there was a meeting in the house. The mother, the father, the children, they said, we can only invite one of them, but we prayed for all of these things. Which one do we really want? Which one would really make it or break it for our family? And finally, they turned around and they said, we choose Emuna, faith, belief. And so Emuna, steps forward and starts to enter the house. And suddenly, everybody else starts to follow. Success, prosperity, health, power, happiness, they're all following. Say, well, well, what's going on over here? We, o- we only invited Amuna. 
I mean, we're more than happy to have everybody. But we only invited Amuna. What happened? So that's right. Happiness explained. Amuna has everybody. When you invite Amuna, you invite everybody with him. We all follow Amuna. It's a very, very powerful story with a very powerful lesson. And the lesson is obvious, and we see it in our parsha. Yaakov knows that he's about to confront his brother, his nemesis. Not that many people will tell you that in the families, the brother is the nemesis. But Rashi tells us in this week's parsha, Halacha, Esav, Seina Liyakiv. It's one of the most profound and kept, well kept halachas ever. Esav is hates is an enemy of Yaakov, a sworn enemy. So we see this confrontation that comes about between Yaakov and Esav. What is going on here? Terrorist teaches us everything. Everything we learn in the Torah, everything we read in the Torah, is a hirah, is a lesson to us. What possible importance is there with this meeting between Yaakov and Esav that took place almost 4,000 years ago? As a matter of fact, you go through all the history books of the world, you don't find this story. You don't find this chapter. You don't find the chapter of Yaakov meeting Esav, and obviously you don't find the wrangling of Yaakov with the angel. And if anything, the battle referred to between Yaakov and Esav is an internal battle. They were twins. They shared the mother's womb. Their confrontation in essence was who controls which part the Yiddishkeit or not, the against, the Kedusha or the Klippa. There's a story that took place in the year 1843. Makshimev Zechari, the Tsar Nikolai, made a proclamation and he wanted the Jews to choose three rabbis representing, representing the Jewish community worldwide. Worldwide, and they were to travel to Petersburg, and they should defend Judaism. The three rabbis ultimately that were chosen was the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, Reb Yitzchok of Volozhin, who represented the Lithuanian Jews, and of the other representative of Chassidim was Reb Yisrael Halperin. Then they found. A guy, Bitzal Stern. Bitzal Stern was an enlightened atheist, Rahman al He was chosen by the government to represent the opinion of the government. And they were brought before the Graf, the Graf Oberev, Oberov. And Graf Oberov was going to hear out the two sides to render a decision. There were several meetings meetings and questions and answers and back and forth about the Talmud, about Minhogim. On the third or the fourth meeting, which was on a Friday, they came to the main topic that they really, the bone in their throat. And that was the learning of Kabbalah and Hasidus. The judge, the Graf, declared that he was against such a thing. It's irrational subjects. Kabbalah and everything else. His crony, this guy Gabriel Stern, also stood on his side. Obviously, the Samach Tzedek and Rabbi Halpern were in favor of the learning, of the studying. And Yitzchak of Elohim sat quiet. No. The Graf saw this and he says, okay, it's two against two. 
But since Velozhin, the Yitzchak Velozhin is not saying anything, he's obviously taking our side, as the Misnagdim always do against Chassidim. And therefore, it's the Misnagid as a third party, we know we go according to majority, and the majority here says, no Chassidus, no Kabbalah, and that's the end of it. No Chassidus, no Kabbalah. Ooh, la, la, so, so. This is not a very pleasant thing. And Semachsedek was not one to take these things quietly. Semachsedek stood up. His body was shaking from with, with emotion. And he said in a loud, firm voice, no matter what's decided here, the learning of Kabbalah and Chassidus will never be abolished. It will never stop. Now we come with the practical stuff. The Graf got very angry. How dare the Tzavotzedek be so bold, so brazen. Immediately the Graf ordered that the Tzavotzedek be arrested and put into the next room. Tzavotzedek asked no questions. He was put into the next room. It was Friday afternoon. And it started getting late. So Samachsedek started Mincha. Mincha of Shabbos starts with Haydu Paschalio. And of course, you did Nefesh. And Samachsedek sang in the most melodious and beautiful thank you. Melodious tune. And the tune of the Tzavach reached, penetrated the walls. Finally the graph says, What is this? What's going on over here? Rabbi Halpern said to him, That is the Tzavach He's davening. What is he singing? He's singing words of Zayah, which are the preparation of Mincha for Erev Shabbos. Upon hearing this, the graph was mesmerized, as was this Mr. Stern. Therefore, <coughs> Mr. Stern himself wanted to see the Tzavachsedek. And when he went into the Tzavachsedek, because, sorry, sorry, he didn't. They said, we're going to decide this after Shabbos in that case. Next several days, Samosedek was visibly sick, physically sick from this whole story. And ultimately, they held the case until he was ready to come, come in again. On the day that Samosedek was ready to rejoin the, the trial, he came with his son, Yehud Leib. And although the Tzamasetic would walk always around, avoiding the shorter path, which is through the park. This time he told the son, we're going through the park. As they come through the park, they see Mr. Stern is sitting on a bench, smoking a nice expensive cigar. Tzamasetic came over to him and said, tell me, my friend, you believe in heaven and hell? And the guy who didn't believe in it really, but looked at the Rebbe, looked at Tzamasetic and was so moved. He said, yes, I do, Rebbe. Well, continued the Rebbe, if that's the case, you want a place in Gan Eden, I'll guarantee you a place in Gan Eden. 
after 120 years, if you vote that Kabbalah and Hasidus have to be studied. And they shook hands on it, and that was the end. And when they came back to court, again, the vote was put up, and this time Stern voted with the Rebbe, with the Tzavosedek, and the Rebbe Halperin, and it went through. Later that day, this Mr. Stern came to the Rebbe. The Rebbe thanked him, and he asked permission to ask the Rebbe two questions. Firstly, how is it that we say that Tatus Nitzchis, Tatus contemporary, always exists in every world, in every generation? Scientists just discovered that roses live from dew. Where do you have that in the Tatus? The Rebbe went to the bookcase and he took out a medrash, which was written 2,000 years earlier. And he showed him an interpretation of the Siddh of the Pasuk in Hesheah, chapter 14, verse 6, for those who want to check it up. I will be like do Ketal Israel, just as the rose grows only from dew, so Israel grows only from the Tata. Mr. Stern was visibly oppressed, impressed. Then he asked the second question. The Eivishter is hakel yochel. The Eivishter can do everything. Can the Eivishter create another God? This is a very powerful question. But some of Tzedek brings this down even in his Sefer Emunah Mada. And some of Tzedek said, yes, he can and he did. The Eivishter calls Yaakov no, and God called Yaakov yes, the Lord of Yisrael, Yisrael, Yashakel. And the Gemara explains that the Eivishter actually called Yaakov God. But this in essence is, is not possible for the human to understand how it works. These answers had such an effect on this Mr. Stern that they say he became a total Balshuva. Kip Shabbos, Yamtiv, Twilin, Kashas. He changed his whole life over. We see this, therefore, as the power of a tzaddik. Now, the first question we have on a tzaddik in this week's parsha. is what was Yaakov thinking? Yaakov sent by Yishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanov. He sent Malachim, the translation is angels. We want to translate the word as messengers to Esav, to his brother. Rashi, though, turns around and says, no, Malachim means Malachim Mamish, literally Malachim. Doesn't say how many. So the question is, where does Rashi, where does Yaakov come off to sending Malachim? <laughs> what right did he have to send Malachim? He's not God. So the answer is, where did he get these Malachim? Why did he have a jurisdiction over these Malachim? These malachim were created from his mitzvahs. Each time a person does a mitzvah, they create a malach. Well, that's why we tell the famous the story always, since also next week is Yud Cheskis, my grandmother's outside, we always tell them the story of my grandmother said to my father, Shalom, that when you do a mitzvah, you have to do a complete mitzvah. Don't drop off somebody in a corner when they live in the middle of the block. You drive around the whole block and drop them off in front of the door. Because when you do a mitzvah, you create a malach. If you do the malach, if you do the mitzvah halfway, yeah. you create a hinkadik malach, a crippled malach. <laughs> so, you go around the whole block. Yaakov created full malachim. And it was from those malachim that he chose to, take, to send to meet his brother Esau. Question, of course, 
what is Rashi thinking? He's telling this Ben Chomish Lemikre, this five-year-old, learning Chomish, that Yaakov sent angels. <laughs> I mean, be real. We don't learn, we don't learn we're not learning we're not learning Mepharshim. We're learning Rashi. The simple explanation of the Pasuk. Although the word Malachim dictates angels. But the simple explanation of the Pasuk would tell us Yaakov sent messengers. Why is Rashi turning the child's head I tell you they were angels. The truth is, there are many Rashis. Rashi asks a question. He says that he says he takes the word of the Pasuk, asks a question on that Pasuk, on those words, and answers them. That's his explanation. There are times Rashi feels the question is self-explanatory. And therefore, he only writes the answer. It's obvious question. Here, have. What was Rashi's question? Because of Yishach Yaakim Malachim Lafana Valaisa Vachim, Rashi says, Malachim Mamish. He doesn't ask a question. What was the question then? If this is the answer, what was the question? And why does Rashi not want to go with the explanation that they were regular shluchim, regular men, regular people? Basavadam. There are many, many different answers to this. But let us visit a din, a law, a halacha. You can look in Be'er Hetev, in Erechayim, the end of Simen Tafresh Gimel. If someone sends a messenger on a mission, v'nizu kashliach, and the messenger is damaged. The Meshaleach has to do tshuva for this. If one sends out a messenger to do something for him, and the person, the messenger, gets hurt doing it, then the, mess, then the sender needs to do tshuva for this, needs to repent. <laughs> if that's the case, Yaakov knew that Esav was not standing there with open arms waiting to embrace whoever he's going to send. Yaakov knew that Esav was coming with 400 men to go to war with him. And by sending any messenger, he knew that he was sending them to their death. If that's the case, it would be prohibitive to send a person, to send human beings, because they would at least, at the very least, get hurt. Maybe even killed. Therefore, Rashi says, no, Yaakov was not going to do such an Aveda. Don't consider Yaakov to be culpable of such a sin. Yaakov sent angels, which Esav could not battle with. Esav could not fight with. Therefore, they were malachim mamish. So that's why Rashi explains they were malachim mamish. As this, this is this is the only explanation I can give you. Otherwise, what was Yaakov thinking? How could Yaakov possibly have sent out angels? Angels. What a visit! A very part, very popular part of this expression. Very popular part of this expression. One of the more popular stories is a wonderful Mazel Tov in the city of Shechem. There was a bris. Actually, there's a lot of Mazel Tovs. Because there were a lot of brisim. 
Everyone in Shechem had a bris. Meiridik. Such a beautiful Mazel Tov. And then on the third day, when they were all ailing and in pain of the bris, Vayikru Shnei B'nei Yaakov, two children of Yaakov came along, Shimon V'Levi, Achei Dina, the brothers of Dina, who was violated by Shechem, Ish Charbei, each took the sword, we took to, to battle, they came on the city Betach with confidence. They killed out every male in the city. These people couldn't fight back, obviously, because they just had a bris. They were all sitting there in pain. And therefore they were able to slay, slay the entire city for what they had done to their sister. Pasik says, Ish each man took his sword. And of course, why they refer to as Ish, the Medrash tells us, this took place, they had just been passed by Mitzvah. It was 13 years since the birth of Levi, who was the younger of the two, but Levi is called a man. Which tells us that at the age of 13, the person has officially an, an emotional maturity, enough to be called a grown man. And this is from one of the sources where we derive that at 13 years, the age of maturity, where a boy becomes a mitzvah and responsible to keep mitzvahs. Ironically, the context in which we say that Levi was a man He wasn't acting like a man. He wasn't acting like a mature adult. I mean, look what he was doing. He went in there and decapitated the entire city. This is in a heated, wild moment. So, <laughs> Yashchem did something horrific. They exploited his sister, their sister. But what were they doing to show their manlyhood, their maturity, they killed them all. Recklessly. And not only that, but they endangered their own lives also. They're going up against the entire town. Entire city. So this is really what it shows us that 13 years old is the true definition of mitzvah responsibility. truth is we can only, should only be responsible to observe mitzvahs when we behave. When we, have, when we all have the capacity to understand, appreciate the value of the mitzvah. And so when a person becomes a man, that's when he becomes a man. The truth is, you look in the Shalom, there's also halachas that are relevant to later years of your life. A shatz about Trila for a Shani Kippur should be over 30 years old, it says. The Chazan should be over 30. Why should he be over 30? Because that's when he's more Neach Ruchei and he's calmer and he's understanding and he's more mature. So we see, this is what the levels are. These things, though, this understanding and this discernment is only a tool. It's a tool for, the, it's not the foundation of the whole thing. How to serve God? Has a person has to do with Kabbalah sale. person has to accept and submit God's will. Accept it blindly. doesn't matter what, you, what your intuition tells you. Or your better judgment tells you. If God told us this is how to do the mitzvah, this is how the mitzvah needs to be done. So the Tana therefore tells us, Levi and Shimon's adulthood in the episode of Shem. Their actions actually demonstrated their capacity for critical judgment stood firmly on the foundations of Kabbalah sale. Because they defended their values. How do you defend your values? 
which sometimes takes personal risk. And that's why they stepped forward. They were able to put their own interests aside to go defend the value which they stood for, their, daughter, their sister being exploited, and therefore they took revenge. <sighs> Let's do math. All those who love math. Rashi says, if you want to check it up, the Gemara Nazir, keep your score at home, Davchav Tesam at Beis, Zerashi Divamaschal Verebiesi. This is Gemiri, we learn out, that Shimon Levi, Bahu Shaita, Behi Shaita, Beneyud Gimel Havu. They were over 30, over 13. Faritzel Achshiv, Yetzel Yachshiv. If you want to do the math, do the math. So let us do the math. Let's see how they were 13. Yaakov married Leah. From the time from when Yaakov married Leah until this date of the battle was exactly 14 years, 6 months and 20 days. After he married Leah he waited seven days to marry Rachel. Seven days, not seven years? Seven days later he married Rachel. He worked seven years after that. Mm-hmm. But he married her seven days after. Then he worked seven years for Rachel. And another six years for Lovin. So, thirteen years and seven days combined from when he married Leah he married, no, he married Leah after seven years. Right. So, and seven days later he married Rachel. Yeah. And then he worked 13 more years. So it's now 13 years and seven days. 20, 20. No, it's exactly 13 years and seven oh, days. Okay, okay now good. Okay. Then he left Lovon. And he had been in travel in transit for seven days. He spent the night in Eve Yavoik. They went to Sukkot. They waited there for 18 months. So now we have 14 years, 6 months, and 15 days. Then we go further. They get to Shechem on Erev Shabbos. So now it's left Outside of the shop, out of the side of the city, also Yemer Shabbos. On Sunday, Dina went for a walk, and Shem did what they did. So now they had a bris. On the third day, they were all hurting, and that's when Shimon Levi took to the swords. So that makes us fourteen years, six months, and twenty days. So when Yaakov took Leah, until Levi was born, was a year. Six months and twenty days. Why? Reuben was born from the first night when they got married. She was impregnated, impregnated that first night. Reuben was then born. The picture of Lezad says, that they were born in seven months. They were all born Zibalach. Chazal tell us, if you keep your score at home, it's Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Dafir Aleph, Amar Aleph. The Gemara says, Yeledes L'Shiva Yeledes L'Mikutoyin. When he says to seven months, it was in the smallest amount possible. What does that mean? It was six months and two days. It was into the seventh month by two days. So Reuben was born after six months and two days. So we find, therefore, sorry, what? No. Therefore, we find that the time went past. Reuben, Shimon, and Levi were born each one six months and two days of pregnancies. For each one, 
that comes out to 18 months and 6 days. Add 2 weeks because they had to go to she went to the mikveh, Reuben and Shimon. So we have a year and 6 months and 20 days. And that's when Levi was born. After the year and 6 months and 20 days. So we find now the third day when they were hurting was Levi's bar mitzvah. He turned 13 that day. According to the math. Too confusing. It's okay to be confusing. But it's clear. Um... Yep. Yaakov goes to meet Esav. Yaakov goes to meet Esav, and there's a conversation. And it's explained in our parsha. The conversation between them, Yesh Yerov, Esav was very from, he had it of. Um... Let's explain the conversation here. Actually, was explaining what the world was going, what's going on in the world. It was how the world is going to evolve. And the preparations for Mashiach. It's explained. Yaakov himself already completed his work. Yaakov himself did what had to be done. Everything in the physical realm, he purified and elevated. He was ready for Mashiach. He was ready for Mashiach. He was ready to go to Seir, Har Seir. It says, "Well, the machine by the the spirit said so." Why didn't Yaakov go? Why did he hold back his children in exile? Because, as he says, "Hayiladim rakim v'hatsein v'abakar alis elay." He had Rachmanis on the children, and the Gediyah saying, it's too hard, it's too difficult for them to do this. You would have done this journey in this one day, it would have killed everybody out. So even though he himself was ready to go to the Gula, there were those children and the Alois, the young, young sheep, they had not yet finished what they needed to do, and they were not ready for Gula. Had Mashiach come, and lightened the world with the Irish of Mashiach, it was too much for them to handle. here we learn out the great sacrifice of Yisrael Saba to the Tzidi Atzain, of the grandfather Yaakov to the Tzain, to the young, uh, young generation although Yaakov himself was ready for Mashiach to come and he wanted to make the Gula in the world what held it back the Prat and the Klau for those you love them and there's always they were not yet finished with what they had to so Yaakov put aside his own yearnings and he put it all aside for the Geula that had to take place and the main thing he worried about was Saint Marisa not only that but not just the Tzayn 
but the little young ones, the smallest of them all, which who could have taken, but they couldn't take care of the Gael Tzedek because they were not ready. This is how every Nasi, who Nasi, it says, the word Nasi is Nitsusa Sheyakov Avinu. The acronym for Nitsusa Sheyakov Avinu. That because they are Nasiim Yisrael, they are ready for the Gula. But they themselves are staying in Golos with their flock, with their sheep. Because they have Rachmanus on us. Because we have not yet finished our service. Even though they are actually fit to be redeemed, but the person needs to prepare themselves and to show themselves as ready and as wanting and as yearning for the Geula of Mashiach. Famous line. Yaakov sends a message to Esau, Im Lovon Garti. I lived with Lovon. Actually, it's a warning to Esau. Everything, this conversation that he has with him, is to put Esau in his place. First in Lovon Garti, and then Vahili Shoeva Chamer. Let's call a spade. Maybe we've explained this before anyway. So I'll surely get emails from people that said, Oh, you told us Pshat already. But it's very potent, very powerful, and a very strong lesson for every generation. Esav is coming with 400 men to battle Yaakov. Yaakov says, You better watch out, Esav. Because I have a shir and a chamer. Mm-hmm. I have an ox and a donkey. So you better watch out. You and your 400 men, better watch it. Well, but in practice, that he has to be scared. So the Farshim tell us that shir, 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 refers to Yitzhak Tzadik. And the chamer, of course, is sat and study Teda they were the concept of the Khamer. the learning of Teda what's Garti? love on Garti? I was a Ger I was a foreigner I was not settled there I did not live there as a as a citizen, I was just a foreigner. It was just passing through, JPT. There are those that say, no, Rashi says also, Im Lovangarti, Vitaryag Mitzvah Shamarti. I lived with Lovan and I kept the 613 mitzvahs. First of all, it goes in because it, it rhymes. It's a beautiful flow. But besides for that, Garti, as we know, as we see clearly, is the same atheist of Taryag, 613. Yaakov is telling Esav, listen here, you know Lovon. Everybody knew Lovon. Lovon's last name was Arami. Lovon Arami, he was a, a scoundrel. Everybody knew that. And everything was physical world. There was no spirituality at all. Sher, Chamer, Tzayin, Evan, Shivcha. To Yaakov, this was a strange thing. The Sher, Chamer, Tzayin, Evan, Shivcha. He wasn't into this physical world, into the physical pleasures of life. But he knew that only going through this channel of the physical elements of the world, he can achieve the beginning of Gerus. And even though he was in this physical, non-spiritual atmosphere, 
He says, Tayag Mitzvah Shamati. It did not affect me whatsoever. <laughs> I've told that story many times. Of the uh, Sorry for the people that are going to be listening to this on the computer, not able to see the uh, actual story, because it doesn't make sense if you're only hearing it. Two Israelis that went grew up in school together. One one became a sailor, and one was working in agriculture in the fields. After 20 years, they meet each other. And the sailor is walking, swaying back and forth like you're walking on a ship. Mm-hmm. He was on ground, but he's got used to walking that way. I see that your work had an effect on you. This is Kermalagin, what should I tell you? You work like this on a ship all the time. You get used to walking like this. He asked the guy from the agriculture, you're not looking. And on you? He goes, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry if you didn't see that, but if you didn't see it, it didn't make sense. Um, and so here, Yaakov is saying that no, I worked there, but it did not affect me. And ultimately, chapter 33, verse 14, we hear, Till I will come to my master in Seira. In Seir. Rashi says, When? So this is only going to happen in the time of Mashiach. Then why is he calling Esav Adaini? In the days, right now, he says, Right, don't get angry at me, he's trying to refer to him as Adeni, my master. Whatever he wants from him. But when the times of Mashiach, if you're referring, making a reference now to the times of Mashiach, in the times of Mashiach, Asa will not be the master of Yaakov. But rather we have to understand, everything in this world, even the most physical, mundane things, have in them a spark of holiness. And Adarabha, the opposite. The lower things are, they show more how much Kedusha they have in them. Their source is that much higher. And it's a cloud. The higher things go down lower. They, for they fall, they fall lower. So during exile, these nitsutsis, these sparks, are hidden. They go in the lowest of low, we don't know where they are, we can't even find them, we can't even elevate them. In the days of Mashiach, when according to Zechariah, as we see in the, in the Navi Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 2, Perikid Yuma Basik the impurity, the spirit of, spirit of impurity, I will eradicate from the land. And all these hidden things will be wiped out, and everything will be revealed to us. All the sparks of Kedusha. So according to this, we understand now, that the lowest of sparks that are found in the lowest places, like in Ace of Arasha, they will rise up to the highest of high. So, Davka bimei Mashiach. Davka in the days of Mashiach, when everything will rise up to the high of high, will we merit to see how the lowest of low, the Esavs, will be referred to as Adaini. Tonight, Rabbi says, Yedalat Kislev. First of all, today, Yed Gimel Kislev is a Yom swept under the carpet. 
Years back, we had a little issue, which ultimately is celebrated on Hey Tavis. An issue with the library, the Rebbe's library, or the libraries the Rebbe referred to belong to Chassidim, says the Rebbe belongs to Chassidim, was, let us say, robbed. Somebody who felt that they had rights to this fundam in the library took the liberty of heisting a few books, a few boxes. A lot of boxes. Old antique fundam. They had no spiritual value to this person whatsoever. Purely monetary. And he sold a lot of it. And it ended up in court. Obviously this person was going to go into the library of the Rebbe and rob and steal, take all these books, boxes of books. He was not ready to go to a business. He went to court. And when the testimonies were presented, obviously, one of the names mentioned in the case, because the Svara belonged to ultimately there, was the Rebbe. And of course, when different defendants are named ultimately for that case to go through the defendants need to appear in court this is a veritable nightmare to do something so humiliating or embarrassing as to making the Rebbe come to court so the lawyers who didn't have enough problems fighting the case fighting to get the Svarim back they had another parish on their hands to fight, to keep the Rebbe having to testify. The Rebbe's wife testified via video, also saying that the Rebbe belonged to Hasidim, and therefore the Svarim belonged to the Hasidim. And therefore, nobody had a right to him. Although this this person was technically a grandson of the previous Rebbe, and thereby thinking he had the rights, this farm does not belong to the Rebbe. So, on Yud Gimel Kislev, it was decided in courts that the Rebbe would not have to come testify. Now, <laughs> like I said, it was a holiday sh- swept under the carpet. Because even though it was a tremendous pressure on Chassidim, and even scary for Chassidim to hear that this fellow was looking to so humiliate Khalil the Rebbe as to bring the Rebbe to court to testify about the Svarim and this person stooped I mean there was no nothing low enough for him to stoop still in all We davened that this wouldn't happen. We davened that the Rebbe wouldn't have to be brought to such a level. And it was a tremendous simcha. But we didn't know enough to celebrate at the time.
Yudalad Kislev, as we said. Um, is the anniversary of the Rebbe and the Rebbetson. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? What does that leave us? Where does that leave us? As we all know, the Rebetzin was the daughter of the previous Rebbe. And for the Rebbe, although there was a relationship between them before, cousins, wives, etc. But for the Rebbe to become Chasna de Venesia, as it's known, a son-in-law by the previous Rebbe, this is a very, very big a big connection for the Rebbe. But even more so, it was this was for us. Because by the Rebbe marrying the Rebbe's daughter, marrying the Rebbe, the Rebbe's daughter, the Rebbe then became connected to us. And this then started the Rebbe and his Nasius. This then started the chain, or continued the chain, from the Alter Rebbe, all the way down to the Rebbe, as we saw by the Mitle Rebbe and the Tzemach Tzedek, so too we saw by the Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe. Although the Rebbe remained a steadfast chosid of the Friedrich Rebbe, and referred to him as the Rebbe the Shver. Very rarely did you hear the Rebbe refer to his father-in-law only as his father-in-law. He always referred to him as the Rebbe, my father-in-law. The Rebbe always considered the Fidik Rebbe as the Rebbe. Always referred to Fidik Rebbe as the Rebbe. And the Rebbe always conferred with the Fidik Rebbe. The Rebbe always went to the Eil or to the Fidik Rebbe's desk. As he once told the story of the the person that came into Yechidis. And he came into Yechidis and he said he needed to, the Rebbe said he would bring this to the Fidik Rebbe. So the Chassid figured that means he's going to go to the Eil. But at that time the Rebbe was only going twice a week, twice a month to the Eil. He was going on the Erevish Chedesh and on Tezvav Bachedesh, 15th of the month. So when he said he was going to go to take it to the Friedrich Rebbe, talk to the Friedrich Rebbe about it, the guy was very disturbed. It was a while off. So the Rebbe said, don't worry, I can mention by his desk as well, and that would also work. That's also enough. And Kachave, the Rebbe would converse literally with the Rebbe, with the Friedrich Rebbe. With the Friedrich Rebbe. And this is something we must learn, something we must understand something we can't take for granted and it's on this day on Yudalit Kislev that we were given the schus to connect with the Rebbe as the Rebbe became our Rebbe by marrying the previous Rebbe's daughter and therefore it's a simcha an anniversary not only for the Rebbe and the Rebbetson but as 
someone once asked the Rebetzin and the Rebetzin was in the house, a child, family was visiting the Rebetzin's house, and the child asked the Rebetzin, such a big house, where are your children? And the Rebetzin answered, my children are in 770. Shit. So we as being the children of the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, Look and hope and pray that we'll be able to hear Mehera Yishama Beora Yehuda of Achutzas Yerushalayim. We should hear the sounds and the voices and the footsteps of Mashiach Tzidkenu in Yerushalayim before this very Shabbos on this anniversary. Shabbat Shalom to all.